podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown with me, Jack Elderton, and my mate, Callum Goodall, after a couple of games where we finally pulled out some clean sheets. Uh, a 1-0 win over Lincoln City and a 2-0 win over Sheffield United. I thought the Lincoln game was a little bit evocative of our win over TSC Batch Katopola in the sense that, you know, use the blunt instrument, <laughs> struggle, to, struggle to, to, to create. Well, I suppose struggle to to be threatening enough from from general open play, and then it's Tom that that gets the goal, and Tom pops up again versus Sheffield United. There was a bit of a debate before the game whether it should be uh, Mohamed Kudus or Thomas Suchek starting in that game. A lot of fans um, wanting to see Kudus play. Um, Tom got the nod, and um, and unsurprisingly, Sheffield United's general weaknesses to to crosses and and set pieces and all of that were on show for a lot of the game and Tom had several chances that he probably should have done better with did get his goal and um and actually we scored a really really nice second um through Bowen and we'll come to talk about both games in a little bit more depth mostly Sheffield United today but have to feel that maybe a little bit disappointing that we didn't score more um and yeah, I think one of my main takeaways actually was not about West Ham. It was it was that Sheffield United looked quite worrying at this stage after the last two games. They started the season quite well by being in games and sticking at it and being close in games against City and Spurs. But that Newcastle game seems to have really burst the bubble. And um, I have to say that even though it was only 2-0 at the weekend, it could have been much more if we'd played beyond 45 minutes. Yeah, 100%. I think... Yeah, I think that's the two main points. I think it was a very professional performance from our end, um, which is nice to see. Uh, uh, we've we've not been treated to those too often uh, <laughs> since I've been a West Ham fan, so that was uh, that was good. And yeah, I think, like you say, we I think my maths based on the data, we could have been three up before we scored. If you look at the quality of the chances that we missed, um, I think there was the Suchek headers, and then the Bowen header, and then the Agurd follow-up header the, from Bowen, from the save from Fodringham on Bowen. So, yeah, it, obviously we wouldn't have scored all four of those because had Bowen's gone in, a Gerd's chance wouldn't have happened, but at least three chances that we could have put away before we eventually broke the deadlock. Um, but, yeah, we managed the game well, I thought. Um, some really nice combination play, which I'm sure we're going to come on to. Um, but, yeah, Sheffield United, they look... I think I texted you during the game, I think, saying how doomed they look. It just... It was, it was sad, and I, I, I hate seeing it when teams come up and then instantly they just look like they're going to go straight back down because it is it is frustrating because you want that sort of turnover and for the Premier League to always look fresh but it does look again like a team's going to come up go back down and probably be replaced by one of the teams that went down last season so um but yeah from a West Ham fan point of view uh lots lots to be pleased with both again team wise and individually yeah I think it's it has to be a huge positive after um after I suppose I, I think we played very well across most of the games at the start of the season, but we have conceded a few silly goals to come away from these two games having not conceded. And um, and particularly, I think in the Sheffield United game, although I'm sure we could have played much better than we did in the second half, it did feel as though we had quite good control. I think one of the players we can talk about, and we just talked about how Tom was selected ahead of Kudus, which I think made sense given the fact that, that Sheffield United conceded um, nine 
from crosses uh, before the game and then also being super vulnerable from 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 set pieces it probably made sense to select Tom even though the game on paper you're probably playing one of the weakest teams in the league and you want to see your your starring attacking midfielder come in in some way rather than having James Will Prowse, Edson Alvarez, and Thomas Suchik on the pitch. So I can understand why that was that debate about about which which should start. But Kudus came on in the second half across his performances so far against TSC Bachka Topola, what we saw against um, Lincoln, and then um, what we saw in that second half against Sheffield United. He he looks really good, and he looks like he's getting up to speed quite quickly, which is a which is a good sign. I think also you know something I wanted to, wanted to ask you about is I, I'm sure you'll probably agreed with me that his best position is is probably going to be 10 rather than starting from from the right hand side and did, did we see that a little bit against Sheffield United because initially he comes on on the right hand side he, he gave away a loose ball didn't look particularly brilliant and then became much more impactful quite quickly after Pakita was moved up front and buying back to the right hand side you know we've talked about finding ways to, to sort of make the side function after Antonio comes off and, and Bowen initially went up front. But that that last maybe 20 minutes with Packeter up top and Kudus in the hole behind, that that looked a little bit better than some of the other stuff we've seen. Yeah, I think so. And I think we've said since he arrived, the sort of the impact that Kudus can have driving beyond the final man, if that makes sense. So whoever's up there, if, if Kudus is going to sit in the hole behind and then burst beyond them in a sort of Lingard-esque fashion, then I think that is a, a role that he can execute really well. And I think in the short time that he's featured for us, we've already seen firsthand just how incredible he is in driving in central spaces and, and maintaining control of the ball in tight areas, which um, is going to be both effective against teams when we're 1-0 up and they're trying to push on and there's space for us to exploit because he's going to carry into that space but it's also equally impactful as a 10 trying to break down a low block where you can play the ball fast into his feet he's going to take the ball into his stride and then make things happen Um, and I think with Paqueta up top as well which I don't know how often we're going to see that but I think it does open the possibility for some really nice sort of combination play between the two of them because both of them possess really nice tight control but also really good vision so if there's a sort of partnership to develop there um, whether it's with Kudus in the 10 and Paqueta in the 8 or out on the left or in the in the centre forward position I think those sort of combinative moments are going to be are going to be super impactful but one thing I will say that I think I sort of noticed when I have seen him out on that right hand side is sort of the way that he uses the touchline as a sort of shield uh, is really it's really wise he kind of it's it's like he's backed up against the wall and then he knows that there's only one way that he can turn and somehow he manages to drag the defenders over to him and still wriggle his way out, which um, it's almost like a, <laughs> it's a weird analogy, but like a bit of a vacuum cleaner in the sense that he sucks all of the opposition towards him and then turns it off. And in that moment, as the sort of momentum is coming towards him, he just bursts away. And it means that you've, you've managed to manipulate the opposition defensive blocks so well. Um, and then there's so much space for you to attack. And I think if, I know he wasn't on the pitch at the time, but if you can sort of superimpose that into a situation like we saw for Bowen's goal, where, if he's dragging everyone towards him and all the movements around him are happening at the same time, then I think the impact that that could have if you merge the two together could be could be really impactful and perhaps most importantly, really exciting for us to watch. I think that moment of just like the oohs and the ahs that you heard of like, whoa, this David Moyes automatisms going on on the pitch and every single pass executed perfectly and it results in a bow and goal. Um, 
and yeah, I think the more often we see those sort of training ground routines working, um, not only is it going to be fun for fans, but also it's going to give the players a lot more faith in what Moyes is trying to get them to do. And that can only lead to better results. Cheers for the title. Sentient vacuum cleaner. Love cleaner. <laughs> Love that. Um, talking about, I think the focus for this episode, the thing that we wanted to talk about in, in, in most depth, we've talked a lot on, on the podcast so far this season about the changes to the midfield, the way things are shaping up differently with Edson. We've talked about how that impacts us defensively. We looked at that um, in depth after the Brighton game, the fact that he can drop between the centre-backs, that allows for greater protection. It allows the, the, the full-backs to get wider. And then you have that, when you're dealing with teams that push really aggressively with five, you're able to play with actual fullbacks against the wingers rather than having, you know, a midfielder dropping in back there. And then after that, actually, what we've seen a lot of is it does some plugging the gap between the defense and the midfield, Thomas and, uh, and, and Ward Prowse ahead. Um, and then sometimes we have seen Lucas dropping back in uh, and being that auxiliary defender in, in other situations. And, He's done a very good job of that so far, even in moments where Emerson has been caught up the pitch and Packers has done done a really good job of filling in that space um, to help us out defensively. So we've looked at a lot of the um, out-of-possession effects of, of, of Alvarez coming into the team and Packerton moving to the left. We've also then started to, to break into talking about the, the in-possession effects, how Alvarez dropping between the centre-backs, again, now from an in-possession perspective, allows for the centre-backs to get a little bit wider. It allows for your full-backs to get higher. That can make a GERD quite impactful, given that lots of teams like to defend in four four two blocks now. Um you know, getting a good outside of that block and being able to play incisive passes through into, you know, either Pakatar receiving in, in, in positive spaces or Ben Rama if he's on the pitch receiving it in, in good areas or even James Ward-Prowse picking up space between the lines and receiving in good areas. Um, some of the things that, that can happen with, with Edson in the team in, in that position. But looking across the first seven games of this season and the, and the first seven games comparing to the first seven games of, of last season, one of the most marked things is just the massively improved share around the team of, of contribution from both an XA and an XG perspective. We're seeing huge impact once again from, from Suchek. Obviously, James Ward-Prowse has added a lot from, from an XA perspective and has brought goals too. Um, Soufal has, has really popped up again. Um, Antonio, very much constant from last season. But what's been brilliant to see again is Bowen um, soaring way up above him and being a really, really um, positive uh, contributor going forward. And I think the biggest knock-on effect we can we can begin to talk about from shifting Pakita to the left and Edson coming in at six is just that refocusing on left-hand side overloading and the way in which it sort of reinvigorates or has seemed seem to completely reinvigorate our, our right-hand side. Because a lot of last season, I think back to the conversations we were having last season about Sufal being pressed too easily, giving up possession, by him kind of being stuck to the touchline, holding the ball up quite well and playing back, but not necessarily getting the kind of space he he needs to run into to, to create chances or more importantly score goals really when you're talking about um Bowen and um and that seems to be back we're seeing Sufal striding out into open space loads and loads now recording really high numbers of carries that's completely separate to to his XA and his assists his actual assist which he's already got three this season super positive um from him so good to see him striding into that open space again with that side of the pitch nice and open and then also Bowen being able to feed off of that, come into the inside space. Defenders have to choose. Am I going to go out to, to Sufal? Am I going to leave him the space to cross or am I going to stay with Bowen? And that confusion allowing for nice combinations. And you just, 
you know, see that all really, I think, quite nicely summed up in, in the goal that we scored against Sheffield United, where not only is Suchek playing a much more impactful role going forward, rather than being shackled and being more defensive, he plays a key role in, in, in that goal and he scores the other goal himself, but Sufal assists and Bowen scores. Um, I think a lot of that is to do with Packeter's gravity and saying rather than having that in the middle of the pitch, if we can shift it to the left, we suddenly get all that space back on the right again. Yeah, 100%. And it's it's been the key to this season's success, I think. And it's one of the things that's pleased me most is that uh, we've we've said a lot about how oh, it's a return to uh, quintessential Moyes ball and the most distilled version of Moyes ball, etc. But I think that's almost a, a little bit simplistic. And whilst it is true, I think what's been most pleasing is that it has been, but it's also a revolution of it, if that makes sense. It's like, it's not just running it back and hoping for the best. It's okay. What worked last time and how do we get even better at that? And there has been slight tweaks that have meant that we've managed to get past the sort of malaise that we ended um, that 2020, 21 season on where teams had started to cotton on to how we wanted to approach things. And that forced us into trying the possession stuff and all of that stuff. Um, And we've gone back to the good parts of it and tweaked the bits that were not, that was starting to not work so well. Uh, and I think that's seen as, like you say, this sort of return to the right-hand side functioning as well as it has been. And I think it's important to consider them as a three rather than as individuals as well, because I think, yes, Sufal's been brilliant. Yes, Bowen's been brilliant. Yes, Suchek's returned back to his best. Um, but I think without all of those parts working in harmony, then it, it doesn't really work as well as it could do because you've got Sufal getting ad, in advanced areas, which the knock-on effect is that Bowen now has more space to operate in and pick up the ball and get those shots off, um, which is why he's managing to get six shots a game, a game against Sheffield United because he's finding those pockets far more frequently. And if it's not Sufal, then it's Suchek advancing beyond him and pinning the defenders back and creating those little pockets on the edge of the area. Um, similarly, like, Last season, Suchek was no way was he getting eight touches in the opposition box. But against Sheffield United this week, he did. And it's because he's got that license to bomb forward. Um, And we've seen what an impact he can have. He probably should have come away with maybe one more, if not two more goals against Sheffield United, to be honest, if he was a little bit more accurate in the air. But I think what's been really pleasing for me to see, we've we've always known how good he is in the air. But I think it was easy for West Ham fans to forget how good he was on low cutbacks as well because I think last season I think because we we were doing so badly in the league and Suchek was a big part of that it was first time West Ham fans were quite quick to forget all of the good things because they wanted to focus on the bad things and um, it was hard to forget how good he was in the air because he was still doing that well but he was just doing everything else badly but he wasn't being allowed to get forward because the way that we tended to function when we weren't doing so well because of Rice being there. And players have come out and said this themselves. I think it was Sufal who mentioned that the sort of burden in possession was on Rice to do everything. And and as a result, everything was going down that left-hand side. And whereas in that first season, yes, Rice was still a crucial part of it. He wasn't actually a crucial contributor in, in offence. It was he'd get there and then he would hit those switches out to the very open right-hand side. Whereas later in his West Ham career, he wanted to be the main man on fine. That's fine. But what it meant was instead of hitting those switches, he would then try and be the person that made things happen in the final third as well. And the ball never actually made it back out to that right-hand side where all the space was. Instead, he'd drive to the byline. And yes, on occasion, we've seen him score those brilliant goals where he runs the length of the pitch and slots it into the bottom corner. But 
nine times out of ten, it also meant that Bowen was sat in space and the ball never actually made it to him. So now it's it's no real surprise to me that as the load has been passed around and you don't have everything trying to go down one channel through Rice, it makes sense that the pitch has opened up and everyone's getting a little bit more time on the ball and we're a little bit more dynamic in the final third because, yes, we might hit it out on the switch to the right, but also if we try and do that too many times, then... Sheffield United are going to forget and then Emerson's going to carry the ball all the way into your box because all of a sudden you focus too much on Sufal and Bowen and the space out on the left for Paqueta and Emerson and to some degree Agurd to sort of create that triangle that we saw. Um, and I think it was a combination between those three that was the highest volume combination of passes in the game once again, um, which is great. And I think Emerson in particular shone for me and I think he did all the things that we know that he can do so well but also he came away with a more than 90% pass completion rate. Um, and he took on that burden. He completed 60-something passes, I think, in the game. Um, his season average is 33. So seeing him take on that progressive burden that personally I didn't ever expect to see him to take on, nor yeah, nor would I have really wanted him to. I, I just don't think that is necessarily his strength. I think his strength was the ball carry, and he, and he started to do that, and I was really pleased. And now we're seeing him turn out Aaron Craswell levels of passes every game in terms of volume, which is which is crazy. And, and a real welcome addition, again, can only be a real positive for us if we can switch up that build-up and and take the sort of burden away from a GERD, from Paqueta, and spread it out because it becomes even more difficult for teams to anticipate how we're going to build up because we have so many more options. Well, the relationship between him and Paqueta has been brilliant in possession and super, super crucial to everything we've done so far. And actually, if we're talking about Emerson, I'd also like to say defensively, I mean, there are a couple yep. of crosses that Sheffield United made to the sort of an underloaded left-hand side for us defensively, and he was brilliant, positioned himself mm-hmm. perfectly, got on the end of things or cleared things. Um, I never really found himself in a situation, I suppose this is in, partly a criticism of Sheffield United, but never really found himself in a situation where I thought I was too concerned about him. He was yeah. always ahead of the play to be in the right space to to, to mop things up. So, yeah. Um, and I think he contributes to the goal now as well. Is it him that triggers the press and springs out and it sort of lands at Antonio's feet and he sets up Suchek? Is that right? It's, yeah, he, he he anticipates the pass, intercepts it, plays it into Antonio yeah. and Antonio does one of those three balls to Suchek. And I think, you, I think you mentioned it as cutbacks, but really to my mind with Suchek back in the day, it was through balls. It was always through balls. It was always the, the, the mm. run you're not expecting beyond the striker from a deep midfielder and then there's a through ball that goes through and, and Suchek is great on sort of that half swivel. Mm. Uh, I can't uh, remember what they were called. There used to be a game called Jumpers for Goalposts on mousebreaker.com. What a banger of a game. Snapshots? And there was, yeah, snapshots, that was it. You had to press the left the left cursor just in time for him to drill it into the far corner. And uh, yeah, I can't remember. He did it, was it Watford or Norwich? I think a few years when ago. I can really remember against Aston Villa, I think away from home where he ran through um, sort of third man run type thing into Antonio back. Suchek goes through the gap, pass through and, and, he, and he sort of shoots on that sort of half swivel as the ball's coming past him towards goal. He then shoots with his right into the into the left corner. Um, does the opposite of that against Sheffield United. But yes, I think he also got one against, I think it's Watford, um, yeah. where, where he runs through and, and does something very similar. One of the things you mentioned in, in, in your section there was about how it's been more of a revolution rather than a re- just a return to um, pure distilled David Moyes, if you like. And if we look back at that team, what would it have been? 2021-22 um, and the end of that sort of life cycle, if you like, for the way that West Ham were playing at the time. Um, I suppose on paper, the team would have been 
in the midfield, it would have been Declan Rice, uh, Thomas Suchek and Manuel Lanzini at that time yeah. towards the end of that season. And a front three of four nows, Antonio uh, and Bowen, or at times, I guess, Ben Rama um, as well. And if I'm thinking about what we've done now and what I was complaining about all the way back then, not only as well, someone else who's worth talking about in this section was Craig Dawson in the team at that point. So you take him out and you bring a good in. So you improve the team's ability to control possession and play through. You take Rice out and you put Alvarez in, who is a different kind of player, but will sit deeper and make the relationship much clearer in midfield. So there's not that oscillating responsibility for roaming in midfield. There is one who sits and one who goes. Um, and you put Ward Prowse in, who does actually a lot of the stuff that Lanzini was doing in terms of just getting on the ball, playing quite a lot of passes, not really losing it, easing some of the pressure and build-up by always being an option, always being available to take the ball, but then gives you a hell of a lot of upside that maybe we were missing with Lanzini at that time in the team because we'd found a way to maybe control games better, but Lanzini wasn't really giving the team goals. And with Ward-Prowse in there, you've got all of that upside uh, from set pieces and the next thing to talk about, I guess, is is the differences between or the players that we've seen play on the left over over this this period with David Moyes, who have largely been four nails, Ben Rama and now Pakatar. And how in many ways, forget what Ben Rama was doing at Brentford, think about what Ben Rama has been doing at West Ham, and then certainly what Four Nows was doing before that on the left hand side. Pakatar's kinda perfect for that, no? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more of a creative role. And, I mean, of the three, who, who's, who is the most creative of the players? I mean, Paqueta's vision is just outrageous. And then I think you add in the counter-pressing element, which I think Fornals was always pretty good at, but sometimes mainly because of effort rather than intelligence. Ben Rama, less so. And also you want a, someone to come and cover. And, again, Fornals was probably better than Ben Rama at that, but neither of them were incredible. And then... You've got the creative output being much better from Paqueta, in my opinion, in terms of not not necessarily volume, but just the quality of the chances and the sort of the passes that he is, can spot as compared to the likes of Ben Rama and Fornals, and then also the defensive side of his game, which we talked about last week. But just compared to both Fornals and Ben Rama, like it's just lev- levels above um, the, yeah. the levels that he's setting. So, yeah, in terms of a function functional piece in this system. That there isn't a better player to play out there at the minute. But also, I mean, it may, it's something that, that ended up getting cut from the last podcast that, that we did, but we did talk about it last week, how actually with Ben Rama and the team in, on the left-hand side, a lot of what you were asking him to do was contribute goals. You know, we wanted him to, to come in off that left-hand side and be a threat um, shooting from range or shooting from the edge of the box or getting in positions where he could contribute uh, goals. It didn't really happen for him uh, playing in that position. And a lot of what he actually ended up um, adding to the team, contributing to the team largely um, and most reliably was getting us from A to B, taking us from the middle of the pitch to the final third by carrying the ball. And so if you're talking about progressive burden, you just take that and go, right, well, Packard is very good at progressing the ball. <laughs> Maybe he's lacked a little bit when it's come to the final third stuff, you know, playing as more of a 10 last season at times. His goal output or his actual assist output wasn't as reliable or as consistent as we may have liked and we ended up I think with two players uh, and and actually Mick factors into this as well I would say three players of the front four who were not particularly reliable providers of of 
actual goals, either through creating them or scoring them. Ben Rama's shooting was incredibly hit and miss. Pakita, I mean, a lot of the time at 10, wasn't really contributing goals or assists. He was doing something, I suppose, in some ways similar to what Lanzini, that kind of Lanzini Ward Prowse idea, where he was progressing the ball quite nicely for us coming deep taking responsibility because Suchek was getting stuck deep and not really contributing much in build-up. So Pakita would come and take that role in possession and Suchek would go forward um, or Rice would go forward and try and contribute um, goals or assists. So he ended up really with Pakita playing as a 10, but not really getting into the areas where he could could contribute goals or assists. And when he did get there, wasn't adding it a huge amount. And then Mick, as we all know, you know, and as we saw against Sheffield United, um, isn't necessarily the most reliable finisher in the world. So by just going minus one in in that area and saying, well, we'll take one one of these sort of, we can't support all of these un, unreliable providers in the same front line. We'll see the left player as more of a progressor um, as Fornells was for us, definitely a very relentless progressor when he was playing in that position, not really playing as a winger, you know, using that full swing as someone that steps in all the time. Um, and what we can do is we can throw someone in who's just upside you know, and I think our concern about James Ward-Prowse was how he would function from an open play perspective. Would he add enough to the team from from open play to support playing in the midfield? But if you put Alvarez sitting and allow Thomas Suchek to go back to just being a in-the-box animal, uh-huh. then yeah, it's fine. Ward-Prowse just ticks over, keeps the ball, does all the stuff that you need him to do to, to ease some of the, the pressure on Alvarez from a build-up perspective and Pakita's full swinger anyway, so he can come in there and help out too. Emerson's in the team now who's contributing lots from that perspective. You're not lo- no longer got Craig Dawson, it's Naya Fagerd who's also helping us there. Ariola's in goal instead of Fabianski, something that we talked about for seasons, having a goalkeeper who was comfortable playing short rather than always needing to, to play long. So actually, it's fine from that perspective. And then it's just upside. He's going to score from a free kick or he's going to create a goal from a corner or whatever. So I don't know about you. There's a lot of concern about where does Kudus fit into this team? When will Kudus ever come into this team? Kudus is an, an incredible player. He's got to surely start at some point. But it feels to me, and I wrote this on, uh, talked about a lot of this in a, in, a, in a thread on Twitter this week, but you can just, you know, when we fancy it, just go, right, we'll just flick the Lingard switch. We're, we're a better version of what we were doing when we nearly won the Europa League last time. We're doing that to an infinitely higher standard than we were doing it when we got to the semi final. So we'll just do that to a really, really high standard. And when we fancy it, we'll go and do the other thing that made us so good beforehand, which was a bit more of like wild card. You just throw Kudus in and go, well, now deal with having a horrible <laughs> ball carrying demon anywhere on the pitch uh, that can just completely upset the balance of everything you were just dealing with. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think as well, I think that having Suchek in, I know we keep saying it, but having him in those advanced areas, it's just, it's such a key thing to unlock. And also it makes Paquetta and Ward-Prowse's job easier as well because they've got someone to aim for in the middle. Like the, both of the success rate of both of their half-space crossing is going to go up exponentially if Suchek is in the box just by way of how good he is uh, in the box. And also if it isn't him getting on it, he's going to force the centre-back to go and sit sit on him because if you've got Bowen and Suchek in the box, you know which one you're going to need to mark aerially. So if Bowen can just drop off and stall his run, then he's going to get onto the second balls if they are there. And then he's got an easy shot on goal. Um, although 
fair play to Bowen. I'm uh, not sure what's happened recently, but aerially he's turned into an absolute beast. <laughs> he just keeps getting on the end of everything. I'm like, okay, fair enough. 50% aerial duel success rate from six aerial duels. Go on then. <laughs> go, go on, son. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's been really nice. And I think, yeah, I, it's just, I, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. I just wouldn't have, I think at the start of the season, we both said like, how is this going to function? How are, how are these midfielders all going to gel together and they're going to be too slow or, or the build-up's going to be terrible. And it's just fair enough. <laughs> I'll hold my hands up and go, I did not see it working this easily or this well so quickly uh, at all. And yeah, with regards to Kudus, I think it's, I understand the clamour for for getting him into the starting eleven as soon as possible because I think based on what he showed at Ajax and what he's shown in glimpses here, he he really is obviously a fantastic player and he's one of those players that does get you off your feet and every fan wants to go to the game and see that and have those moments. But I think A, it's not broken, don't fix it kind of thing. Like It's going nicely for us at the minute. It, it's working like having Kudus in your back pocket as a sort of roll of the dice wildcard, like you say, is is a real asset to have and something we've not had really a player of his quality off the bench for a long, long time. Um, so having that is is a real underrated thing. And I think especially against teams who, I don't know, in the last half an hour, maybe it's not been working or maybe they've got tired legs and having someone like him to bring on instead of a Danny Ings who... Well, yeah, we don't need to talk about him this week, so that's great. Um, but yeah, I think having that is is really impactful. And I think there will be a time where he obviously is going to eventually get into the starting eleven. I think, because having a player of his quality not in the starting eleven is at some point going to become ridiculous, I think, because he is just that good. He, he is technically probably one of the best players at the club. But I just think, as we've seen with other players under Moyes, they don't always just get straight in there and I think it's worked with everyone else so far that he's bedded in he's usually timed it at the exact right time and it's worked perfectly so I think just trust in the fact that Moyes probably knows what he's doing with this guy and uh, and we will eventually get to see a lot more of him I, I suppose it's a perfect opportunity now for me to ask you the question would you proactively roll that dice in the next fixture Premier League fixture that is um, against Newcastle let me let me let me get on my soapbox briefly uh, <laughs> about this. Uh, they press a lot. They also go man to man in in their pressing system. And when the left winger disconnects from the usual man that they would be marking to go to the centre back, Anderson in the most recent game against Burnley it was very noticeable. Platt was playing left centre centre midfield. He left that position and went to the fullback. That, in turn, forced the left centre-back, Fabian Scher, to step out into midfield. <laughs> now, could yeah. us right eight against the centre-back running at speed? That's just beat me to it. money. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just, that is just perfect for him. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the things we've seen him do a lot of is him sort of inviting the press behind him and then just rolling to over his right shoulder or his yeah and then carrying inside so if he can bait that press from Fabian Scher or whoever to sort of come and get touch tight as Newcastle do like we say they mark man to man so if he can force that and then spin his man which realistically I'd probably backward us to spin Fabian Scher uh, and then beat him in the preceding foot race so I think yeah there there is definitely 
elements that I think could as could be the the better option in this. I also think for all of Suchek's strengths, like we say, he Newcastle love to press. He's not particularly press resistant. So if he does find himself on the ball, we could be seeing us lose possession in some dangerous areas if he's receiving in deep. Secondly, aerially, Newcastle are pretty good. They've got Dan Byrne, they've got Sven Botman. So that nullifies one of... Oh, thank the Lord. I think um, Still, though, I, I would still say that if Howe is smart, then th- there will be some shuffling around there that he can do to nullify Suchek's threat. Um, and even if we run out with if we run it out with Suchek from the start, and they haven't necessarily prepped for it, but Burns on the pitch, it's just a case of shuffling him inside and just being like, right, you. If Suchek's coming into the box, that's your guy because you are the six foot seven player. So therefore, you should probably take him as your assignment. Um, and then that, yeah, like I said, nullifies Suchek's threat a little bit. So I think when you look at the potential for Suchek's weaknesses to be exploited and his strengths to be nullified and the fact that Newcastle stylistically could be exploited by Kudus's strengths. I think on both counts, it probably makes sense for us to go for Kudus. I think also as well, like in terms of Newcastle, I like you say, I expect them to press highly, but I also expect them to commit a lot of men to our half. And if you can then get the ball, if, if say for example, they've got it into the box and Zuma or Agurd has headed it out to Paqueta and Paqueta can get his head up and sees Kudus in a pocket of space in the middle third waiting for him to receive it and then carry forward centrally. If we can do that and then you can get Kudus running at a backpedal in Newcastle defence, whether it's two centre-backs, whether it's a full-back and a centre-back, whether it's three defenders, I would still back Kudus to run at high speed as the Newcastle defenders are running back towards their own goal to make something happen or at the very least to get fouled. And then you've got James Ward-Prowse with a shooting opportunity or a crossing opportunity, depending on where he's brought down. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, for all those reasons, I think for me, it would make sense to to put Kudus out against Newcastle. It's interesting because I did a poll on Twitter before the Sheffield United game and asked people whether they'd pick Suchek or Kudus and they picked Kudus and I would have gone Suchek. And then I've done the same poll before the Newcastle <laughs> game asking people whether they'd pick Suchek or Kudus. They've all picked Suchek, but I'd pick Kudus. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we picked Suchek and then he scored. So it's like, oh, well, fair enough. Suchek's the one, isn't he? <laughs> but now it's like, well, come on. Um, but I do, I do think, you know, Newcastle have got a fair few players missing for this game. A couple of players are expected to miss it. I think Botman is one who is a, a, a doubt at, at best um, for the game. I also think Wilson is a doubt. I think Joe Linton uh, isn't going to make the game. Anthony Gordon is suspended. Harvey Barnes is injured. Um, so some real serious issues for them in terms of personnel coming into this one. It's going to be interesting to see who goes to the left. If Wilson makes the game, would, would Isak come across and then Wilson come come in and play through the middle? Or would Anderson maybe start on, on the left-hand side and then Sandro Tonali comes into a midfield with Longstaff and uh, Gimraesh? I think the big thing, though, is if Botman is out, that is the weakest area of the team when you look at the depth. It's Jamal Lascelles. And if Cher is going to be stepping up, like we say, if if Kudus is the player that is picked to start this one and he can roll Cher in those situations, which I'm certain he could, mm-hmm. think of who's going to be man-to-man and the players they're going to be dealing with. It's Dan Byrne against Jared Bowen on the break and Jamal Lascelles against Mikel Antonio. Like It's perfect as a, as a 3v two or a 3v3 with Trippier coming across to help out um, for us to exploit. So really quite excited actually about the opportunities that could um, could be there for us on the counter 
against Newcastle and if we're wise ways in which we can manipulate that man-to-man system to create opportunities um i know i know there's been fierce debate over the terminology but but artificial transitions if you like mm. where we can um can yeah really really get at and exploit um, how exposed they leave a couple of players deep uh, when when they push on um to try and press i know we're running a little bit short on time but i wanted to give you an opportunity to chat about our Europa League opposition this week, Christian Strikes, uh, Freiburg. I think they've had a decent start to the season. Is it eighth in the Bundesliga yeah, um, right Mixed now? Mixed bag, though. They've had a few uh, drubbings. Uh, they got beat 4-2 by Dortmund and 5-0 by Stuttgart. So right, the wins sure. have come against like, Augsburg and some of the some of the worst teams. Um, so, yeah, it's mixed bag, I'd say. But, yeah... Um, I was just going to say, I'll throw my hands up and say, I know, (laughs) frankly, I know fuck all about them. So please do, please do enlighten uh, both me and the listener, but primarily me, um, (laughs) about, uh, about Freiburg. Yeah. um, Well, I was pretty excited and and pleased actually when I saw them in the group, Um, not because I think they're easy opponents. I think they're actually probably the best team in our group. Um, but Christian Strike is a manager that I have admired for a very long time. Um, I think not only is he tactically very interesting, which we'll come on to, but I think as a person, he is probably one of the most likable um, managers in Europe and probably one of the most similar to us, actually. And I think before we go on to the tactics, uh, I think given some of the stuff we've discussed recently on the pod, um, I will shed some light on some of Strike's views and why I do value him um, so much, both as a thinker and a tactician. But I think it's interesting that in a sort of in a footballing environment where particularly managers tend to kind of toe the line or try to be um, a bit sterile and maybe not share their views, he's been very outspoken about sort of various different things, whether it's sort of ethical consumption and sort of uh, not buying into consumerism and making sure that you eat meat that's been treated well if you are going to eat meat or commenting on the rise of the far right i think he's been quoted as saying if you do not make your stance clear then you share the responsibility once once things head in a bad direction which i think given some of the stuff we've discussed recently is a is a quote that we can both get behind um and also a a a touching quote i think about his indulgence in hyperbole and how pressure is not found in a relegation struggle but when you fear for your life so much that you put yourself and your kids on a boat um i think just just a great guy uh, from my point of view. It just echoes all of the values that I hold dear, which is, is why I, I really like him. Um, and also the longest serving manager in the Bundesliga. So clearly everyone in Freiburg also <laughs> also really gets behind him uh, and what he stands for. And I think it's just, he's a sort of character that doesn't really exist in football at the minute. And um, I think when we do come across them, we should really celebrate them and hold on to them because they are rare. Um, but tactically, I suppose, is what most people want to hear about and how we can exploit them and, I think it's difficult actually because obviously having been there so long, the side has gone through various evolutions. But I think I personally associate him largely with playing a three back system, usually a three four three, although he has flirted with four four two and four two three one um in recent games and also this season as well. But I think some of the key um sort of stylistic traits of the side are they like to build up from the back. Um he often the goalkeeper will come out and sort of split the centre-backs as is sort of been on vogue for a while now and uh, allowing the wider players to push up and join the sort of defensive midfielders and, and progress through that way. Um, 
they build up quickly and they commit a lot of players into the opposition half. Um, also tend to overload the ball side as well. Lots of combinative play. Um, wide players, Ritsu Doan, I think, is one who I'll highlight as being a, a very, very, very good dribbler, but also in terms of his positional awareness, he just has this sort of knack of just popping up in the right space at the right time to sort of either bounce a pass off or to receive the ball in his stride and carry towards goal. Um which, now that I've said it, gives me vague flashbacks to Daichi Kamada and the sort of role that he played in Frankfurt's three-back system and, and how he operated as a sort of floating player that just facilitated everything in the final third. So definitely want to be keeping an eye on him. Um, and I suppose they're not that dissimilar. Obviously, shape-wise, they are. But in terms of what they rely on to create attacks, they're not that dissimilar to some of the stuff we've seen from Moyes in terms of they like to build up and then quickly get it out into the wide areas before getting the ball into the box for either on-running central midfielders or more of a physical striker. Um, so I think we should expect to see a lot of that. Where I think we could get them, and part of the reason they've been blown away uh, on occasion this season, is that by overcommitting in the opposition half, they do leave themselves quite vulnerable at the back on the break. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, uh, Stuttgart, beat them 5-0, uh, Dortmund beat them 4-2. So if you can get in behind them, there there is opportunity there. Um, they tend to be quite good in the air. Um, they're, the, a lot of their success has been based on the fact that if a team does go long, their three centre-backs are generally quite early dominant so they can maintain that pressure and win the ball and then start another attack. So going long to Antonio might not be the best option if he's not going to be as good aerially, which we've seen on occasions this season, he's been great on other occasions, like against Liverpool, he just couldn't get anything to stick. So it's a bit of a risk if we do try that. And if we do, it might be something that we want to change fairly quickly if it isn't working. Um, but in transition, if we can, if we can break into the final third playing on the deck, whether that's through Paqueta, whether it's into the feet of Kudus and then drive at the slower centre backs and get in behind that way, um, almost in a Leon-esque fashion, I suppose, in terms of just hitting them rapidly and exploiting those spaces, then I think that could be the way in. Um, I think aerially they'll probably handle us and they'll probably look to defend in a similar way to us. They like to block the central areas, force the opposition out wide and make us cross into the box because those three centre-backs, they're banking on being able to win those headers, which is obviously very familiar to how we defend, albeit just with the two centre-backs. So in that way, I suppose, if we train in that fashion and have an attack going up against our own defence, then we should in theory know how to how to attack against it. So it could work out well. But yeah, tactically, it should be a very interesting battle. Um, and yeah, I think if we can get a result against these boys, then I'd be pretty confident about our prospects of getting through the group. Because like I said, I think they probably present the biggest threat in terms of the quality of the opposition we're likely to face. Last question for you before we wrap up on this pod is, um, you know, what are the major changes, if if any, that you would make from the team that played Sheffield United for for that fixture? Um, I think I'll, against Freiburg, yeah, 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 against Freiburg, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see uh, Kudus in definitely. Um, I think his sort of, like we've said, his sort of direct running at that sort of back three, if we can catch them in transition when they've committed so many players forward, could be a real asset. Um, I think by way of his pace and his trickery, he should should be able to get into those pockets of space and carry us towards goal pretty, pretty adeptly. Um, yeah, I'd obviously love to see Mavropanos again as well. I think in terms of them overcoming, and we've seen how he is 
just slotted in and been able to fulfill that function that Zuma does in terms of getting the ball out of the box, but maybe with a little bit more composure and he seems to be a lot more happy with the ball at his feet and sort of take those extra two seconds rather than just clearing it as Zuma does and does so well because that's his role and that's what he's asked to do. But rather than clearing it, Mavropanos has shown that he's quite happy to just stop in the box almost, look up and be like, right, who's going to receive this ball? And I think if you can get that with Kudus about 30 yards away from him looking to break and Mavropanos can just play that ball straight away into the transition, then I think that link up and connection could be could be super important. Um, I think, yeah, those would be the two main introductions. I mean, come as no surprise to anyone. I think every West Ham fan will want to see them both against Freiburg as well. Um but yeah, those would be the two ones, um, not just because I want to see them, but because I think tactically those two are potentially the best uh, in terms of getting the best against Freiburg. And who are you taking out? Is that Zuma and and um, and Tom that, that, that are getting dropped from the team? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I suppose there's been rumours about Bowen potentially picking up a knock. So I suppose if that is true and we want to be careful, then you put Kudus out on the right instead. But I think I would prefer to see Kudus in those central areas just because I think, A, as well, I think if they are going to force us out wide and they don't want us to progress centrally, but we might have to because maybe it's just not working outside. I think Kudus of all players is probably the one that even if they are trying to funnel you through the middle, uh, block out the middle, sorry, and funnel you outside, he's probably the one that's going to relish the chance to take on that extra challenge and just drive at them anyway and, and burst his way through. And like we've said, win potentially dangerous free kicks. Sweet. Okay. Well, I'm quite looking forward to these two games. I think it's going to be a really interesting week uh, and pro- probably quite an interesting podcast for us to do uh, before the international break. Yeah. Um, and then we'll, 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 look back and re- review everything so far and I suppose actually we'll probably end up saying a lot of the things we've said today again just being quite pleased <laughs> about about the changes we've made and and uh, I got a wonderful question on Twitter earlier saying whether the, all the changes that have been made uh, were kind of by design or whether it was sort of like so he's not really working out let's chuck Lucas out there and see how it goes and it's all just fallen into place afterwards and I had to say <laughs> That you'd have to ask David uh, that question. I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure we can answer it. All we can say is, up to this point, we're happy. It's working. Um, yeah, and long, long may it continue. Um, last thing for me is just check out uh, the website analyticsunited.co.uk forward slash members if you want to um, help contribute and support the podcast. Uh, it costs us a lot of money to to get all the the video and data to support us doing this. And if you want to help us continue to produce the podcast and for the podcast to exist beyond this season, any uh, contributions would be much appreciated. Um, thank you all for listening. Thanks, Cal. And um, I will catch you all in a week's time. Sports Social Podcast Network.